Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is our sixth episode and I'm joined by my good friends Vili. Good evening. And Jody. Bonjour. How are you gentlemen? Father stayed out. <laughs> you are. Just regular day here. I think we're all suffering from different levels of fatigue and lethargy based on our uh, respective weekends thus far. Um, but let's hope we can up the energy a little bit for this discussion. <laughs> yes, I don't want to be the math of the group straggling at the back of the, the long walk, moaning and grumbling about everything. <laughs> um, okay, so first things first, before we get stuck into this week's episode, I wanted to call back to two little things from last week. And I don't know, I'll run this by you guys now live on air. Um, this is something that I think I think we should do. Um, every episode is just, if there's anything in the last episode we want to discuss, we just have a quick little reference to it. Um, I think we've been doing that in most of our episodes anyway. Um, the two things I wanted to bring up this time are uh, that I mentioned last week that I think Lord Luke that becomes the Slayer is Lan's mm. cousin. And Jody, I think you're going to delve into this later, but he's not related to Lan at all. No, not at all. <laughs> he's he's Rand's uncle, yeah. um, which is totally off the mark um, he's related to somebody then, in the story there you go <laughs> and then i wanted to ask you guys if you gave any more thought to our most hotly discussed topic last week which is uh land's ability to smell a burnt fade <laughs> <laughs> i can honestly say i have not thought about this <laughs> at any <laughs> any length maybe it's as a result of having to listen to it while editing and giving it another listen afterwards to listen to the finished product and really really questioning my own thinking around that chapter. But I went back and I read it again, and I stand by what I think my interpretation was. And, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's the right one, but that whole chapter, the whole footprints in the air is about, you know, Moraine lifting her hand to the air and sort of feeling something there, sensing Rand and uh, and Rand and Matt at least passing through Whitebridge. It's all about this sense of, um, of feeling the shadow spawn and the boys and that sort of thing. And that's probably why my mind went the way that it did in that land was also sensing the fade more so than mm. straight up literally smelling him. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought we sort of left that one dangling a bit last week. And at least in my mind, I feel comfortable with, with my interpretation. Again, Vili, that doesn't mean that I don't agree with yours because <laughs> I like the idea of land knowing what a burnt fade smells like because he's done it a bunch of times. But um, that's, where I, that's where I ended up. Well, hopefully someone will send us some fan mail, pop it in there, give us your interpretation. Yes, if you have the definitive answer on whether <laughs> Lan knows what a burnt fade smells like, send it to Moritz at bloodandashespodcast.com or go to our website and send us some feedback. <laughs> it's not go. Bella at Bella.Bella. Bella. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why yet, but you know, I'll keep the campaign going. That costs money, Joe. Send me some euros and I'll set up Bella at Bella.Bella. Bella. Sent. Okay, so this week we're going to cover chapters 30 to 35, 30 being Children of Shadow and 35 being Camelin, which is a nice tantalizing chapter title to end Ooh. off this pretty uh, cumbersome and morbid uh, stretch of chapters we're going to deal with here. Jody, I see you arcing up. You don't agree with me at all. <laughs> Sitting up straight. What? <laughs> How dare you? These chapters were great. I don't understand your negativity towards this this uh, <laughs> Matt and Rand journey, sleeping under hedges, playing for their food thing. I mean, we'll get into it. There's lots. Yeah, there. we will. We will. We will. Um, when we left the gang, the last chapter we read was um, Eyes Without Pity, where 
Perrin, Egwene, and um, and Elias were camped out under the statue of Arthur Hawkwing in the steading. Um, and that is where we pick up again this week with chapter 30, Children of Shadows. So, Vili, why don't you take us through that? Yo, and what a meaty one this is. This is quite a big one. Um, now, it starts off with him in the steading. Perrin finds his way down to the water, and immediately him, he's having some issues there. These thoughts that he had of ending Egwene's life if they were to be caught up by these crows. And also the hate for the axe all of a sudden that he has with the thought that he might have ended a life using that axe. It's quite a deep moment there. And uh, him and uh, Elias has a little exchange out there where uh, he thinks like Elias can actually smell what he's thinking or can you even sense my thoughts. And he says, no, he hates the axe basically. He just wants to throw it in the water. And he's like, no, you'll use it again, boy. As long as you hate it, you will use it more wisely than more men would. Wait, if you ever don't hate it any longer, uh, that will be the time then to throw it as far as you can and run the other way. Yeah. Quite a quite a good little uh, information there from the yeah, next order. This theme is the one that uh, carries on throughout the entire books and eventually when he changes to the hammer and all of that you know, mm, later on. So this is like right. the first mention of that hatred of the axe. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they uh, then, while they're having this exchange down at the water, um, Elias sort of switch over and runs up and shouts at Egwene, like douse the flames, like someone's coming. Oh, obviously, the wolves had warned him. And uh, he runs up and grabs the kettle, burns his hands, but doesn't care, just sort of gets far, the tea over the fire, sort of. It's... I think Elias, Elias throws the kettle at him at, and he catches yeah, it and, and burns his yeah, hands. He, he throws the kettle at Perrin and he sort of whimpers at <laughs> yeah. catching it. Like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> And uh, he says, no, look, it's too late to hide the tracks. Like right now, just you go either east or west, I think it was. But go, forget about me at this stage. And he runs in half wolf, half man with his silver thang. And him mm-hmm. and the wolves go to town on this that's coming for them. And Perrin and Egwene then quickly saddles Bella. And again, the axe is still prominent in that, like squeezing against his uh, side. And still aware of the axe the whole time. They uh, get going um, and go to a little outcrop, which turns out to be uh, the statue's hand that obviously got toppled and sort of the hands, mm. like realize how big the statue was. And uh, at that time already, they can see the torch lights and they can see they've split into groups and the wolf saying they men, but they don't smell right. That's parents picking up like, what, what, is, what do they mean? Like they don't smell right. It's kind of weird. They uh, get up there sort of into the, which I can imagine sort of the fold of the hand with the fingers sort of to hide out mm. in there. And uh, eventually the men sort of pick up their trail, a couple of soldiers, and come up to them there and say, oh, and in the panic, Egwene asks him, uh, will he dance with her uh, the following night? Just kind of like a, all of a sudden like, oh, shit, sure, this is whatever weird thing to say. And he's like, yeah, no, of course he will. But right now we must think either we're going to run or we're going to have to hide type of thing but they get spotted and uh the soldiers comes and sort of surround them and as Perrin comes out they say to them no no boy drop the axe you know you're bumpkin you know drop the axe drop the axe <laughs> who are you and as that happens uh it was a dapple that he feels sort of flying through the air wasn't it hopper hopper sorry yeah and flying through the air and takes two guys out at one teeth crunching on their throats, ripping it out. 
but at that also um, <laughs> they uh, impale her onto the ground. Him? Her? Isn't it her? I know Dapple is the the leader the leader of the pack, and she's a she's a female. Uh, no, it is up as a male. Yes, he wanted to always jump and fly like yes. the birds. Yes, and he flew there for the last time, and they killed him. Yeah, and he was saying like, "Run, brother, run, get out of mm-hmm. here." And yeah, Perrin just uh, filled with pain. He screamed a wordless scream that had something of a wolf's cry in it. Uh, without thinking, he leaped forward, still screaming, and they've been captured. I think Perrin gets knocked out. Oh yeah, they like he flies into them and he gets knocked out. He kills two of them. You find that out later when they're oh, talking to spoilers. Um, Bornald. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler cast, all good. And yeah, they then uh, get taken. And uh, the next day, wake up, or Perrin wakes up, who sort of fuzzily realizes his hog died, uh, lying in a, a nice tent with a floor and sort of got even got furniture in. It's like, oh, he's glamping. traveling style. He's glamping. <laughs> and he sees a green there and a uh, child buyer. Yeah, just to clarify, we're with the children of the light now, right? Yep, children of the light. They turn out that they do smell bad because they have ill intention, those children of the dark light. Um, And yeah, he reported (laughs) back to the Lord Captain that uh, 23 were injured, 7 were seriously injured, 9 men dead, 30 horses had to be put down, they were hamstrung. And... uh, he sort of already, you can see this this hatred, but they, he wants to ask the Lord Captain if, uh, you know, the wolf that they killed, they at least killed one of these massive wolves. And does he want a wolf rug? And Perrin almost growls at him at this thought, sort of, mm. okay, maybe sort of hold it in. Um, but he can see already how biased the hate he's got for him. It's kind of a, full of an enthusiasm for hate. Uh, vigor <laughs> but uh so it turns out this it's is a good now... metal metal band name enthusiasm for hate <laughs> <laughs> i'll listen to that <laughs> uh, so yeah it's a uh, old lord captain bornold the old man old gray mm-hmm. and he's sitting there and uh he was then told that now there's probably about so many men i can't remember how many and probably 30 to 50 wolves and he's like, yeah, I would say there were six to eight wolves, maybe, child buyer. Perhaps no other humans than these two. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a true zeal, but no experience other than the cities. <laughs> so, <No>. <laughs> <laughs> him down. And his face was kind of like unhappy about that. And again, sort of like taking it out on Perrin. Almost wanted mm. to smack him there. And then, uh, yeah, they start the questioning, commenting on the axe that it looks like that's definitely a weaponsmith's axe perhaps even a master that made the axe. And uh, again, his eyes burning darkly at the two prisoners. And uh, no villager weapon, my lord captain, not a farmer's. Mm. And uh, yeah, he introduces himself from Bornhold. Um, and uh, he's uh, expecting them to treat them as the anointed and to speak properly when he parents sort of gets his tongue out of line. They wallop him on the side of the ear with the axe handle. And he feels the blood running down. Quite hard. I think yeah. Perrin's, like, he notes like, like he might have died if he hadn't flinched out of the way and caught a glancing blow. Mm. Like, I, I, I really noticed. And then, like, he swings the axe at Egwene as well, and she just dodges out of the way. I was taken aback at how violent Child Bayar is towards them with, you know, Lord Captain Bornhold just yeah, sitting he's there a, with he's a, fingers. He's a prime bastard, that one. He doesn't <laughs> look like a, a, yeah. so many baddies. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with like physical traits to back it up as well. Like he's got sunken cheeks and dark eyes and he walks in and his whole air. Like I mean, there's no subtlety in the way that some of these characters are described. And there's a couple more in the stretch of chapters as well that I'll comment on. But yeah. like child Byar as well. You walk, He walks in and you know, yep, I'm supposed to hate this guy. Yeah, but now, now during this exchange kind of, I think there's a lot of experience with uh, the Lord Captain. He, he's seen a few things. He's had mm. many years out there dealing with the, also the true dark forces that is out there and then their perception of what is dark, I suppose. And uh, then he also pipes up. You've heard of this thing with men running with wolves and you know, like dark business, filthy business type of thing. And uh, the parent cuts in, the wolves aren't, and he sort of almost takes his words back now and sort of slows down his voice because he doesn't want to catch another one on the head. And uh, yeah, and uh, they start the questioning, like, who told you that? And the green pipes up, no, Warder told told us that. It's, it's not an evil thing. Mm. And so he's like, oh, a Warder also now, that's also creatures of the witches of Tarvalon, you know, more dark friends, more filthy business. So he's going and he's running through all the things that he's like, no, you've Admitted to being an acquaintance of a dark friend, Warder, a third finger for carrying a coin of Tarvalon that most people would discard as quickly as they get it after leaving the city. You have got a fighting man's weapon while you're a farm boy. And, uh, you know, he's kind of, oh, and you know about Trollocs and Madral. So he's really sort of laying the case on them at mm. the moment. They should have just shut up. <laughs> yeah, they should just shut up. And then, uh, they start questioning, all right, give me the true story. And before Egwene could start preparing one of their lies, he actually hops in and says, no, no this is we from the two rivers. And uh, we were, we went out on this quest to see Camelin and we got sort of caught up and stayed at Shadow Logoth, which I shouldn't have said. <laughs> yeah, and, another uh, thing. Just basically giving him more ammo as they're going along at that point. Such bad liars, they just trip themselves up completely. Completely. And he's like, oh my gosh, like you should have just shut up. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Rather that it's like, oh well, you must definitely be part of the Dark Friends because only Dark Friends know it as Shadow Logoth. And to the disappointment for old Bayer, he's like, no, well, give them back their belongings. We're not thieves. Keep the weapons. Uh, we'll take them to Camelin with us. And he almost sort of questions Bornald at this sort of, and uh, the penalty for dark friends is death in a flat voice and sort of you might be suggesting stepping into a bug there's no no there's no truce with the shadow there's no mm -hmm. mercy for dark friends and um he again applauds his zeal and says uh, i must often tell this to my son dane now we have we met dane wasn't he in the city wasn't he in he, he's the Arnold? one that that um yeah, he antagonizes um, Rand, Rand and Matt, yes. and he also confronts them at the gate as they're leaving Bailon. That was mm. the good slingshot that took out the, the barrels mm. and got them all splattered in mud, deservedly yeah. so. And yeah, no, it uh, basically says uh, that you have until they get to Camelin to sort of uh, come to the light and give us the true story. Otherwise, they're going to be handed over to the questionnaires, which makes uh, Bayazil uh, look like a candle beside the sun which I can, phew, that must be bad. Yeah. So, yeah, the, our, our heroes are captured and uh, by the uh, children of the light or the, the dark white light. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And it's at the end of that little speech that he also says to Perrin, but for you, it's only a gibbet waiting in whatever their 
capital city is where the children are based yes, because exactly. he says you killed two white cloaks. Yeah, yeah. But now that wasn't Perrin, was it? It was because it doesn't say it. It was uh, uh, Hopper. No, it was Perrin. He looks at the axe when he says it. And I mean, Hopper mm-hmm. killed one of them. Um, and Well, at least one that we know of. And a bunch of other guys got killed in the background. Like while Perrin is talking to those white clocks while they're being taken, they can hear like a, a bubbling scream in the mm-hmm. background as another white clerk is killed. So the wolves killed some of the white clerks, but I think Perrin killed two of them with the axe because he goes in and he swings the axe and that's when he starts thinking of it as his one um, yeah, shining, shining fang. Thang, yes. Yes, yes. And that's when he gets knocked out. Yeah, you can't really trust the Children of the Light's uh, accounts of what happened, but I mean, everyone else in no. the group did see him do it. You know, that's that, I think that's yeah, I think that's what they, happened. They, it is the truth. They do sound a little bit lawyerish in their approach of everything. And I think I mean, when when Hopper, like his whole thing about the reason he's called Hopper is he wanted to fly and everything, and he does one final jump and he catches one of the guys in the throat before Hopper is killed. Mm. So Hopper only killed one. So. You know, Hopper can't be held accountable, or you know, yeah. couldn't have killed two people that Perrin gets blamed for. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't think from the previous chapter they going and they just running from the crows, which is pretty intense. That mm. is kind of exhausting, and then you get this little, oh, it's evening, and they are in the steading, and oh, they're safe. It's going to be okay. Everything's everything's great. It's going to be safe, and then it's not even enough time to boil a freaking kettle and make some tea. And no, they straight back at it again. It's nuts. Elias even says this is not going to stop any men. And then Truus Bob, the worst of men, other than <laughs> dark friends, rock They're up everywhere, and eh? spoil everyone's shit. I mean, in these chapters that we've read, in the chapters that are upcoming, every town they're in, everywhere they're going, on the road, in the cities, white cloaks everywhere. So mm. And dark friends. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. Is, is there but, a yeah. difference between the two? <laughs> you know if you're rand then no there's no difference (laughs) no and that leads to an interesting um question that i had um which is the wrongness that the wolves smell Mm. on the children of the light what do you guys think that is because they're just men i think it's their zeal i think it's their their blindness to to seeing the world as gray they only see black and white you know, like, if you're not for us, you're against us. Yes. Yeah. That's how I interpret it as well. Like, they, they are so set on the wrong path that they're almost um, crazy. Like, it's a mm. form of mania. Yeah. Mm. Um, because I think later in the books, the parent can actually sense that sort of thing about people as well. Like, their yeah. sort of their state of mind. Yeah. Um, and I think the wolves pick up on these, like, these guys that are so, like, the wolves are creatures of the dark. No, you fucking idiot. They're just animals. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Relax. That can talk to you yeah. if your eyes are yellow. Well, <laughs> Perrin didn't <laughs> like Aram, so maybe you already had it back then with the tinkers. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Was that it? Uh, Is that how the chapter ends? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, so. that's how the chapter ends. Mm. Indeed, yeah. So that's our introduction to old Bornhold. Who, mm. while being the captain of the dicks, is not such a bad dude. He's a grandfatherly figure. You know, he's not he's not as extreme as the others. No. And it's a pity he doesn't hang around longer. <laughs> but I suppose the books would be over sooner if he was there all the time. Oh, no, it's fine. Yeah, so we need some uh, antagonists. Yeah. But yeah, I liked him. I I also liked him in the beginning, but then 
his blindness to, you know, reality in, in I mean, he, he is a white cloak. Mm. So first of all, he's making questionable choices. He's life. the white um, cloak. He's not he's not the Lord Captain Commander. Oh. He's just a Lord Captain. Mm. <laughs> I'm not I'm not really up to speed on all the ranks at the moment. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, that Pedron Pedro uh, Nile or something? Yeah, yes. something like that. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, it's coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah, I was taken aback by how violent they were towards them because I mean the the concept of a fair trial is completely missing here, right? Mm. Like they just they've tied up these two children. Yeah. <laughs> they are young people and they're just smacking them in the head with like an arm long axe handle, you know, the girl included. Like yep. they try to hit Egwene. Well it's and, it's know, kind of what the mob would do back in the day if they had someone they wanted to get information out of. Yeah, they their zeal, Jody, that word is totally misplaced and burning you know like they are mm. zealots yeah in the truest sense of the word i mean your description of mania is definitely that's probably what the yeah what the wolves are smelling what else i got one more thing i want to mention but i don't want to just take over billy's chapter go for it when elias you and you spoke about this Will, when elias um asks or he looks at perrin looking at the axe right and perrin is looking at this axe and he's hating it elias asks him do you really hate her that much and uh, yeah. he's talking about Egwene. Mm. And I think what happened there, and then Perrin immediately says, can you read my mind like you read the wolf's minds? And Elias just looks at him sort of quizzically. And Perrin is already from like Burn and from some of the other um, wolves. He he senses things like hatred and hate, kill, fire, you know, mm. like when the Trollocs and things are around. I wonder if Elias didn't sense the hatred from Perrin, mm. but didn't know what it was aimed at and thought that maybe originally... It was her was looking at the axe, hating Egwene. Yes, mm. but um, when they talk about the axe, and he he says his poignant sort of spiel about, you know, it's good that you hate it. Hang on to it while you hate it. It's when you don't hate it anymore that you throw it as far as you can and run the other direction. Baron also replies there that no, I love her. Yes, not like that, but yeah, not like that, but you know what I'm. Yeah, but now with you. If only Rand was here, he's so much better with girls and words and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, rough chapter. I mean, I, I still remember that from my first read about Hopper dying, mm. how sad that was, even though you've only known them for like a couple of chapters. Um, and also just how intense Child Bayar was and how violent they were towards the kids. Yeah, yeah totally. Okay, shall we move along? Let's do Let's it. Let's go for it. Okay, so the next chapter is at least slightly more lighthearted. It's um, chapter 31, Play for Your Supper. And we switch to Rand and Matt, with whom we'll be sticking with uh, for the duration of the rest of the stretch of chapters, which is um, Much to the delight of Morris. <laughs> <laughs> I love reading about Rand and Matt. It's just this stretch, it, it, it's... Yeah, it's just so dire all the time. In fact, I conflated a lot of the scenes in my mind. Like when I read them now, I was like, oh, wait, this happens. And where's the where's the woman with the deck? Oh, and then that comes later. Mm. Like I'd sort of squish this all into one like just phase that is bad. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Rand and Matt are traveling along the Camelon Road. 
this is after you know running away from White, uh, Whitebridge, obviously, and Tom attacking the fade. So they're traveling by themselves, and they're doing it tough. You know, they're sleeping under hedges, and they're just you know ducking away from the road, hiding from people, um, trying to find a bit of work here and there on farms to just like get some food and you know a place to sleep. I think it's at this point that Rand also sort of condones Matt trying to steal eggs every now and then, yeah. just you know. It's totally normal for Matt, but a big step for Rand to just let him. Mm. Um, and as they as they move along and they sort of they try and find this work and you know like trying to make their way along the Camelin Road, sometimes it works out, and sometimes they will be run off by farmers with dogs. And the worst case scenario, sometimes or it happened only once, maybe where they've actually done all the work and then they run off mm. the farm. So like everyone along the Camelin Road is. Um, wary of strangers, but also at times um, at least somewhat accommodating to having someone come help them. And one such family is, um, what is it, the the Grinwells? Yeah. Mm. The Grinwell farm, um, where the boys go and do some work and they're in the, you know, in the stable doing, you know, forking hay or like, you know, mucking stables or something. And uh, the farmer's eldest daughter, who's just a year younger than Rand, give or take, is just hanging out there, basically swooning over them to the point where Rand has to like put on a shirt um, <laughs> because he's embarrassed about the looks that she's giving them. And at the end of the day, like the farmer's like, you know, you guys can stay here, obviously. And they're sitting and they have supper together. And um, Rand and Matt have the, I think they just had the idea to sort of like try and pay for the kindness that they've been shown. And Rand plays some music on, on Tom's flute, uh, you know, as best he can. Mm. Um, and Matt does some juggling, and the family is wrapped. They love it, and mm. the the farmer dad is like, "Wow, this is this has been great." They all stay up later than they usually do, just listening to them play some you know arbitrary songs. And he makes a passing comment that you know he's paid more to see much worse at the inn in the next town, mm. and that sort of you know causes a little spark of an idea in in Rand that maybe they can they can actually go to inns and use these things that Tom has left with them to to pay their way. But then that night, you know, like <laughs> Mrs. Grinwell can read her daughter like a book. Like she, she sees Elsie sort of like swooning over Rand all the time. And then she offers for Rand and Matt to sleep in Elsie's bed. And Elsie can sleep with her parents or share with her siblings or something. And she she's sort of, you know, put out by it. Um, and the next day, she she makes she makes it known that she does not approve of this attention that Rand is getting, and Rand is just trying to deflect it. He doesn't want any of it. And as they leave the farm and they move to the next to the next uh, town, Matt is like also ribbing Rand the whole time in like <laughs> old Matt style, you know, just making fun of him. <laughs> um, and so they um, they cruise on to the next town where they actually try their hand at um, playing music and juggling for, for money. And the innkeeper was quite okay with paying them and they, they have some food and they have a bed to sleep in that night. And this, this poses a new opportunity for both of them to, to do this. And that's how they travel from then on. Like they're going from inn to inn. If there's more inns in a town, you know, they can sort of play them off against each other. Um, and sometimes it means they get two beds and they don't have to share a bed and that sort of thing. But um, that's basically what this chapter comes down to. It just paints the picture of the two of them traveling along, stopping at towns in inns and entertaining people for money. I think that's how it that goes. Oh, and then it goes, 
pretty pretty smoothly until they reach four kings, and I think that's how the chapter ends. Is there not a mention of that young boy in the morning? Is that not there? No, that that's still coming. No. No. It's, it's a different chapter. Oh, they're all, yeah. Like you said, these chapters all kind of string together. You never know mm. what order they're going exactly. in. Exactly. Right. There's a lot of, I mean, some of the towns are named, but they all feel like these like nameless yeah. towns that they've passed through and there's multiples of them. And then, you know, Robert Jordan dwells on some of them and others he doesn't. Um, yeah. But at least at this point, where we finished this chapter, he the boys are doing okay. You know, they they're traveling, they're playing for food, they're eating, they're sleeping in beds. Everything is hunky dory. <laughs> Getting a little bit of strength back there. There's uh, yeah. quite a few references uh, again with Tam coming up in this stretch with Rand. Like uh, a lot of the things, like there's a thought, and they look at the town. It says, but it looks so much like home. And then yeah. sort of Tam saying, but. It's not really home, is it? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk into a house there and find Tam there. And uh, yeah. Matt, uh, at a point, also is telling him, maybe you should sell that sword. And he's kind of like, no, this this is a sword that Tam gave me. Um, yeah. Like a little bit of that holding on the whole time. And uh, I think later on, he also has a bit of fever dreams when he gets sick. And mm. again, that sort of plays back to that whole opening night in the beginning when uh, he carried Tam on the litter. Uh, back to Emmonsfield. Mm. Yeah, so there's this whole, yeah, we carry on with that theme of Rand missing home. And then also through these chapters, we see these six cha- five, six chapters, uh, Matt's mm. slow decline into yeah. emo Matt uh, as the dagger starts affecting him more and more and more. He's constantly grabbing it under his cloak. You know, he's grabbing it. Whenever somebody looks mm. at him, he gives them like a skiff look and he's holding on to the mm. dagger. And Rand's really worried about him. So this gets more and more prevalent as we go along as well in these chapters. Later, he's got a scarf wrapped around his head with only like his eyes sticking out at the bottom. And he's sort of like <laughs> looking. No wonder they chased them off the cute. farms, man. <laughs> like, <you've got laughs> also, Matt is a thief and a scoundrel. Yes. <laughs> There's that part as well. <laughs> Indeed. He's not completely innocent. Of it. Nah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, not a lot. That's that's all set up. That chapter is basically set up for the next couple of chapters yep. to show um, their their progress along the Camelin Road. And Indeed. Also, to give you a breather from the first two previous two chapters, that was pretty intense the whole way through. <laughs> and the next three chapters. Yeah, we've just come off the crows, and then the white cloaks kicking the shit out of the out of the friends and killing Hopper, and now it's, it's Matt making fun of Rand getting googly eyes from from the farmer's daughter. <laughs> yeah, and that farmer's daughter scene as well. He uh, sh- when he's finished playing, when Rand finishes playing one song, she looks and she goes, oh, "You play so wonderfully." And her mother's knitting, and she looks up instantaneously and looks at her daughter and looks at Rand, and is just like. I think the boys can sleep in your room tonight and you can come and sleep in my room. And the girl's like, God damn it. She clicks, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> I don't like what's going on here. This is harsh times. I'm not rearing no babies. <laughs> and then the farmer, the farmer says something as well about them staying on a bit or something. And the mom is like, no, no, no. They'll be wanting to get out of here real early. Yes. Yes, indeed. I <laughs> want to make an early start. <laughs> Okay, so I'm happy to move on. Not not a lot of big picture stuff here. Yeah, I I did I did enjoy that uh, that chapter as well. I like that lightheartedness with the family, and it's like they're still good in the world, you know, little bits of it. I like, especially in this stretch, I like seeing Matt make fun of Rand. Like yeah. that's that feels feels like old Matt. Yeah, indeed. We don't get to see a lot of that coming up. 
So yeah, next chapter. Chapter 32, Four Kings in Shadow. Jody, go. Lots of shadows, lots of chapters with shadow in it. So anyway, mm. next town, Four Kings. So Rand and Matt uh, reach Four Kings, which is another shithole. <laughs> There's a lot of those <laughs> along the way. I mean, they're all truck stops, basically, uh, these towns along the way. But this one is just the <laughs> yeah. worst. Uh, kind of because it's it's got the Camelin Road and it crosses with the the road to Tier or something I think that's coming up from the south. I think Ilian? it's one of the, uh, Ilian. probably Tier as well. I mean they're yeah, both down there, both from the south. Anyway, so it's like that big road coming up from the south and the Camelin Road cross at this mm-hmm. place, and it's just full of the worst kind of people. Um, mm. Yeah, it's basically just a crazy trading post. Tons of people, um, and they they try their hand again at you know going to the inns there's four different inns in this town that they check on at least and they when they enter it um when they come and look inside the place is packed they can hear music already playing but you can't even hear the music the people are drunk and like as matter as they open the door to one of these inns one guy vomits right on their feet so they're like this place <laughs> is not and i guess it's not like the other towns it's real shithole so eventually they go mm. from inn to inn and they can't get work and the first three and the fourth one the dancing cartman um mm. and open the door there's no one in it it's dead quiet it's you know the floors are dusty as as fuck like it's just the worst and the b- first giveaway that you get is that the innkeeper is skinny and this is where oh, yeah. god get out get yeah. out <laughs> run for the hills <laughs> so this is where this is where Rand's thing comes from uh, throughout the story about never trusting uh, a skinny innkeeper this yeah. guy uh i have his name here hake that's it his name is hake the innkeeper so the boys don't, they don't, they don't dig the vibe at all in this town. But anyway, they're trying their luck going again, you know, like you know, trying to get a bed and some food by playing and entertaining the guests. Um, but this is also where you see Matt's becoming more and more introverted and negative about everything. So, uh, yeah, they get to, they speak to, to Hake in this, in this inn. He's got these two big bouncers as well, Jack and somebody else. Yeah. Strom. Strom. Oaf number one and Oaf number two. <laughs> Uh, same things. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this Hake just looks like a dark friend straight away when you see him. So they make a deal for some some pallets in the back. He's not keen on having them, and he doesn't like. They even want to show like, oh, let's, let's listen to how I play, and he's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like these people, my customers are not going to care. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. So uh, he's like, yeah, well, he, the the deal is crap. We'll give you some pallets in an old storeroom. Like you're not even getting a bed, and you'll eat when everyone else is when everyone leaves. And they're like, no, 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 no. Listen, we don't we don't do it like that. You'll feed us first, and then we'll sleep on the pallets if they're clean, whatever. He's like, yeah, fine, fine, fine. And he gives the the bouncers this kind of look, and um, you know, like to and then kind of like nods towards Rand and Matt. And uh, yeah, so there's something going on there already because he gives a mm-hmm. skiff look at as well at the sword that he's got. And uh, and then, you know, eyeballing it, so you get the feeling like this guy's not to be trusted. Rand notices it. He mentions it to Matt as well. Like at one point during the evening when they're playing, he's like, I don't trust these two bouncers and this hate guy. They're going to try and rob us tonight. Mm. Uh, so during the night when they're playing, a huge storm hits and there's like, this, this is where your tension starts building again. Your happy times at that family farm are over. Lightning strikes mm-hmm. outside, you know, lighting up the room. And the room, you know, the, the, the inn is eventually packed with people getting drunk and just being nasty and, you know, slapping the maids' butts as they walk past and, you know, the serving ladies and everything. So just the worst kind of people. And in walks this guy. <laughs> Dark friend, mm-hmm. head to toe, dressed in, <laughs> in velvet. <laughs> 
like with velvet slippers and a velvet cloak and a velvet just the sleaze ball of note. Uh, immediately when I saw he was dressed in velvet, I thought of uh, Zap Brannigan. <laughs> <laughs> but just like an intelligent, but just as sleazy Zap Brannigan. Uh, yeah. Uh, just yeah, dark friend, dark friend, dark friend, dark friend from the house. And he looks around the room, and as soon as he sees them, he's like ah, recognition all over his face and the slimy smile. And he finds a seat and sits down. And he's like, "Yes, I found them," you know. And Rand's like, "Oh, cock." And at this point, uh, Matt is just eyeballing everyone with a dirty look. He doesn't care what they think. And uh, Rand's always like, "Dude, you know, like calm down, stop looking at people like that." But Rand yeah. doesn't give a fuck. Uh, Matt, sorry, doesn't give a shit. So anyway, um. Throughout the evening, uh, they get a meal as well at the end. And then, you know, the late at night, everything's done. They've, they've played their, their set. The, the place is emptying out. And they go get their, their room in the back. So I'm, you know, going, chopping. This was a very long chapter, just getting to the, to the meat of it. So, mm. yeah, at the end of the night, everything's finished. They get their pallet in the back. But Haig walks them to the room at the back with his two bodyguards. And there's just super tension this whole time. You know, he's going to rob the now. He's going to rob the now. He's going to do something. So Rand, down a long, dark corridor <laughs> to a storeroom with, you know, in the back, it's all dirty and uh, just the worst. Like they're trapped. They're absolutely trapped. And so mm. Rand even mentions during this point, he's like, he's never realized how much of a trap an inn really is. Like if you can't get out through the front door, I mean, that's it, buddy. You're not going. Because they were thinking of leaving like during the night, but yes. there's a there's a bouncer at the front door, bouncer at the back door, and Hake and this other dark friend are just eyeballing them. They're not going to let them out of their sight. So yeah. Rand realizes they have to sort of play along and buy their time. Mm. Yeah, because he says as well, like I'm not spending the night here. You got to be kidding. We're getting out of here as soon as yeah. you know everyone goes to bed. But that's not the case. I mean, at the end of the night when everyone clears out, old uh, Goad is his name, Mister Velveteen. Mm-hmm. He is still there. <laughs> he's hanging around until the end. So he's after them as well. That's quite clear. And this is another mention as well to like Rand recognizes all that velvet. And it's from Whitebridge. The yeah. merchants that were at the at the dock yes. when they got off the boat of uh, the sea spray. Yes. Uh, he sees all these merchants. So it's, you know, they have a legitimate reason to be traveling up and down. They're merchants, but clearly dark friends. You even brought it up in the last episode when they were in Whitebridge. You were like, is there some significance to talking about their velvet clothes and their velvet slippers? And we were yes, like, no, 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 no. It directly ties back to this guy. So, yeah, he's still there at the end. Everybody's there at the end. They walk them down to their room. Uh, I use that word liberally, uh, room, mm-hmm. their prison, and, mm-hmm. you know, put them in there for the night. And when, Ra- when, they, when they leave eventually, Rand closes the door, but then he peeks out later and one of the brutes... Uh, Jack or Strom, whichever, is there mm-hmm. at the end of the hall. So he's like, okay, shit, they're absolutely trapped. And they look in this room. There's no lock on the door. They can't close it. They look at try and get out the window as well. Like, oh, there's a window. We'll sneak out. But it's got bars on it. So it's literally a prison. Um, and mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be trapped here. So they've got Hake and his buddies. And they've got uh, Goad, who's the dark friend as well, after them. And uh, so they they find some, some splints or whatever. They stick it under the door. They jam. They manage to jam the door closed. But then... They hear a knocking on, but they hear people coming down and they think it's Hake. So they're like, Hake, leave us alone. We want to sleep. We want to sleep. But it turns out that it's Goad. And Goad and his men have taken care of Hake and the other two. We're not going to be an issue, but I mean, I would, they probably would have fancied their chances with Hake rather than this guy mm-hmm. and all the men he's brought. Yeah. And he's saying through the door, you belong to my master. So this is where we get confirmation that, of course, this guy is a dark friend. And he seems to be more um, than just some random dark friend. He seems to be, you know, in charge of some people, like a 
mm. I don't know, a regional manager of Dark Friends. <laughs> and uh, he's, uh, they start trying to break down the door. And this is like the tension's finally culminating because you get that, you know, through the whole night of everybody eyeballing them and the lightning and the storm. Mm. And every, they're trapped in this little room and they're trying to crowbar the window open and it won't work. And they oh, we've got to get out, we've got to get out, we've got to get out. And the, and the room fills with light. And this is where Rand channels lightning uh, for the first time. Now, you know, kind of, this is like, from my gaming experience, this is at least, you know, master level, grandmaster level magic spells. <laughs> and this is not like your, your level one spells. Uh, lightning comes through. He channels lightning through the window that they're trying to break out. It fills the room, blows them out of the way against the sides of the walls, and blows the door that they're trying to break down and kills Goad, blinds Matt in the process. And when they get up, they're all dazed and confused, but the, there's a big hole in the wall for them to escape now. And it's pissing rain outside and they run into the, he grabs Matt and running into the night. And then that's when Matt realizes like, holy shit, I'm blind. I can't see anything. And they stumble yeah. off into the night and into the rain, trying to escape. They turn back and they do see somebody shaking their fist at, at the sky or at them for, for causing so much cuck. Uh, but we don't know who it is. But later, I suppose we find it's not Goad because he is, uh, he's with his master later on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's where we leave this chapter. Like they've destroyed the inn. They've managed to escape. Rand has channeled seriously for the first time. I mean, previously he channeled a bit into Bella in one of the first chapters that we recall. Mm -hmm. He tried to, you mm -hmm. know, to make Bella run a bit faster, but this is some we think he channeled on the sea spray with that boom that crushes the trollet's oh, chest. Right. Third time. True. Mm. All right. But Rand, I mean, to your point about like this is a grandmaster level spell. Rand has a level ten battle mage in his head. You know, <laughs> he so does. That's, that's another one of those plot plot lifelines that they can throw out at any time. Like, yeah, but New Theron can take care of that. You know, yes. like subconsciously. And this is something I wanted to go into as well. Like, how much influence does Luz Theron have over him, and how much control does he have? Because clearly, that's not Rand doing that. Uh, could you you could argue it's instinctive? But we know from these first early books, at least that loses literally another person in his head talking to him. But to what, to what level is that his madness or his imagination or is it lose? Now, I mean, that's the question, right? Like that's how it's posed throughout the entire series. Is Rand going mad or is Luz yeah. Theron actually manifesting in his head? And every single line of internal dialogue that is in italics, yes. I read now as Luz Theron. Me too. Mm. I'm I'm always looking at it through that lens, and sometimes it fits really, really well. Like we spoke last episode about Luz Theron posing the question, like you know, sometimes the hero doesn't win. You know, are you a hero, Rand Althor? Are you a hero, Sheepherder? I mean, that se yeah. seems like someone else talking to him. But yeah, I, I get the sense that Luz is talking to him. Rand doesn't realize it's someone else. He he thinks it's his own inner voice because why would he think anything else? Yeah. Um, but. I, I don't know how much control Luz has over him. I mean, at one point later in the stories, there is actually a sort of battle for control between the two of them. Luz tries to take over and actually does channel sometimes when Rand is not intending to. Um, so, I mean, there could be a bit of that already, you know, like just sneaking through yeah. um, as Luz becomes more and more manifested in Rand as a fully formed consciousness because Rand is still starting to develop his powers and, you know, those could be tied. I suppose this will happen with every reincarnation of the dragon because when they begin, I suppose they know nothing and they got to have some sort of, you know, backup <laughs> in place to keep them yeah. alive until they do know what's going what's going on and how to channel and all of that. So the, the previous dragon is there before, just unfortunately... Rand has Luz, who's a complete fucking maniac, 
to say the least. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, they're on the back foot. <laughs> yeah. Is it just yeah, me that's picking up that uh, the dark rents that are being sent after the boys are like the straggling scraps of dark friends that sort of gave over to the dark side and got some power and they got some money because they all dressed in velvet and the woman was also in a beautiful dress and even down to a little boy that was so scared of the two of them who's blind and injured and wrecked, tired and freezing, but they're still getting out of the situations. Look, I mean, my, my inter- I had the same thought, Billy, and my interpretation is that there are obviously dark friends everywhere. Mm. And right now they're in the country, right? So the, the level of dark friend you're getting here is, is country dark friend. You know, <laughs> with, with the odds, you know, well-to-do, quote-unquote, well-to-do merchant or some lady of means. Um, but I think what they're trying to do specifically in this stretch of chapters as well is show that anyone can be a dark friend. You know, it could be the likes of Samuel Hake, who I don't think is a dark friend. I think it's just, just, no, it's just a in my, in my notes, I have him as a contemptible asshole. <laughs> and, That's polite. And I think, um, I think they're just showing that, you know, it can be a young boy. It could be a lady of means. It could be a merchant, it could be anyone just to sort of keep you on your toes, showing you different types of dark friends that could be around because you're not supposed to be able to identify them for all the talk we've been doing about yeah. how obvious it is who you hate. Um, Robert Jordan does go through some length to show that it could be anyone. Yeah, and there's a lot more of them than you would think. They're everywhere and at every level Fucking of society everywhere. that they've, in, they've in, you know, influenced every level. There. Yeah. yeah. So later on we find, I mean, there's we know, of course, there's the, the Black Aja. So they're even amongst the Aes Sedai. They're amongst the royalty. They're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Aren't they in the Children of Light as well? Aren't they... Um... Maybe that's why they smell wrong. <laughs> this is me. This is me extrapolating to the nth degree, but I, I, I seem to remember being shocked that they're even there. I would, you know, some so. of those inquisitors or something. I mean, they've infiltrated every level of society over thousands of years. So yeah, children of the light—they're everywhere. Yeah. Right, and that's how it ends. Them stumbling into the no- into the night in the rain, trying to run away. Matt's blind. Rand doesn't know what the hell just happened. He just thinks he's so lucky that lightning struck exactly where they were standing at that moment when they needed to escape. And off they go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else did you get out of that, Vol? Now, definitely, Goad was uh, destroyed by the lightning and all of his men. He had a bunch of men outside as well. He had multiple carts, didn't he? Mm. Rand goes outside at one stage and he goes in the rain to go look when one of the bouncers, you know, corners him at the door to the kitchen as well. Mm. Um, Rand goes outside and he sees one of those black carts with the name on it, exactly like the merchant's carts that mm. you see in, in Whitebridge. They were lying down, legs sprawled, eyes open, staring at the heavens. Kind of yeah. drops falling in the eyes. No wake man can tolerate that. Yeah. Or with their feet towards the end, so it like mm. creates this this image of like the lightning striking and blasting everything outwards, and including the people that were anywhere near it. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, they got they Good got smothered. Rand himself gets flung against the wall, and mm. Matt gets covered in debris from the roof and stuff. And the two of them hop up and run off, and everyone <laughs> else is dead as disco. <laughs> yeah, well, I think if it was loose, he was precise with what he was doing. He wasn't just randomly Probably. chucking uh, lightning bolts. He probably aimed it at Goad. Yeah. And um, Matt says he was looking at the window when it hit the window. Yeah. Um, which is why Matt is blinded. blind. When I read this the first time, I was like, man, that's just now getting to stupid blind luck. 
not even thinking that there's anyone involved in this um, throughout all of this, except for where they uh, said Bella needed no healing after that first run out of um, mm. uh, Immensfield. Then you're like, oh, okay, someone did something. But this moment there never crossed my mind that Rand did that. It was kind of the storm was there and, oh, what blind bloody luck that lightning <laughs> saved them. It's like almost like, come on, man. It could have been a little okay. bit better. Hey, remember our favorite plot armor? Taverin. Mm. Taverin. They are just <laughs> yeah. inherently lucky, you know. So I guess that's part of what is being done here is sort of um, obfuscating you know, the true reason for anything happening could be because they're Taverne, could be Rand's channeling. I mean, you're not supposed to know any of this stuff the first time you read it. You're not supposed to yeah. know that Rand is the dragon reborn. You can start piecing a couple things together already, but it's not said outright that Rand can channel. So, yeah, when you read this, it's not... Although, in saying that, I think I remember from the first time thinking, fucking A, Rand, you <laughs> exploded that building real good. Yep. <laughs> you want a door? He has a door. Yeah, <laughs> have a door. <laughs> I was also impressed by Rand in um, when they get led down the narrow corridor and like you know the tension is ratcheting up. You just you feel trapped already. Mm. Um, and when they're walking down the corridor and they're let into that room, and Rand immediately starts looking around. Okay, what can we use to bar the door? And they find the wood splitters and stuff, and he mm. kicks it under the door. But he waits for the thunder, you know, like in a real uh, Shawshank yeah. Redemption. Mm. You know, he's waiting for the <laughs> totally. thunder to happen, and as the thunder. You know, well, the lightning claps, he, he kicks it in. And they do the same thing with the crowbar that they find. They wait for the, the lightning and the thunder, and then they try and creak it. And, you know, it makes a noise because it's screeching the metal. They're trying to bend it like a quarter of an inch at a time. Mm. And at one point, Matt drops the crowbar, and it's like, fuck, guys, things are looking rough. And then they start ramming the door in, and you get the sense of the trap closing in on yep. them and that's obviously what triggers in Rand this like lashing out as well the same thing as on the spray when the Trolloc was about to skewer him yeah. you know, mm. he was going to he was going to die um, that's when he was able to again quote unquote do something um, to save himself the pattern's trying to keep the dragon alive for as long as possible it's trying its damnedest succeeding <laughs> yes that's <laughs> yeah. fine yeah anyway okay should we move on Let's, Let's do, it. do it. All right, Vili, why don't you take us through chapter 33, The Dark Waits. Oh, no. This is one of those uh, moments in the movie where it's the next day all of a sudden. They've uh, gotten out of uh, the Four Kings and uh, Rand kind of wakes up on the back of a straw cart. And they sort of just being dragged along. Master Kinch picked him up somewhere, a leathery-faced man. And they just going on... The uh, Matt is as blind as anything. He can't really see. He's got his eyes covered throughout most of this. And yeah, n not a hell of a lot. Like Rand asking Matt if his eyes still hurting. Matt's like touching his scarf. It's like, no, not as much. But, uh, you know, I can see a bit, but it feels like you're looking straight into the sun. So it's obviously got a bit of arc eyes there, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fun thing to have speaking out of experience. <laughs> <laughs> Your backyard welding has prepared you well for this chapter. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, oh, Master King sort of, uh, they noticed that with some guards coming past with like pointy helmets and him saying, no, that's the Queen's guards. They're just keeping the peace. There's a lot of people on the road. Eventually, uh, he drops them off. He gets to a point where he's going to turn up a road and sort of you've got kind of 
half a day's walk or something to the next village. This is as far as I'll go now. And um, he actually says to them, like, look, I can see you guys have been through something. But no one at the farm, if you wanted to take two days to come and just recover, like, you're, you're looking sick. Like, that, um, or was this in the section now? It's confusing, isn't it? Yeah, because, because they drop there's, you there's sort of in media res. Mm, there was a this few chapter of them jumps. There. I mean, this chapter starts with later on, and then it goes back to how they got to where they are at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, so mm. it's all backwards. It's like a we'll Tarantino get to that. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. For the first time, they no, it is. It is. It says you can rest up for a day or two at my place, and mm. uh, you won't miss any time or whatever your sickness says. You overget young fellows. Uh, well, the old woman and me, we've about had every sickness, so we'll we'll we're quite alright. And Matt's already not trusting him. He's like narrowing his eyes and it's kind of like, and Rand's got every now and then sort of remind him like, hey, not everyone is bad. It's again that every every now and then there's a, a good person that comes around. Uh, but politely says, now far's the next village, and that's Craysford, and they should reach it before dark walking. So they head off and they keep walking up there. And um, when they eventually hit the village, uh, they definitely need a place to rest. Um, they they knack it now. It's been walking, carting, just tired. Sorry, I was picking up here quickly on my notes. Time jump confusion. Yeah, yeah big, big time jump confusion. Um, I know, me too. Okay. I had to go back and forth a couple of times to go, wait. Lots of farmers on carts on the same road. <laughs> so many. This one gave him a scarf. This one gave him a ride. This one, it was a bit weird. Yeah, it was a little bit weird um, because there isn't really any parts that I can remember where they do this bit of time jump. Um, no. Going forward into it. Maybe it was experimentation. It's like, nah, that failed. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> let's leave okay, it well, at let, that. Let's, let's get into it. We're talking about it now. So, I mean, I, I also, like, it's the first time that I can remember in the book. Um, I don't think this has happened thus far where he, he does sort of like a, okay, this is what's happening now, but this is, and then skips back to, this is how they got here. Um, so when I read it, I was like, also a bit confused because, you know, it sort of blends together a little bit, a lot of farmers and carts, like we said, but then I thought, okay, maybe he's trying to set the timeline or something. Um, but that's also not the case. I, I, you could literally tell that entire stretch in chronological order and not lose anything. There's no like reveal or anything. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the point of that was. Maybe he's just trying to mix it up, you know, break up the, this, this monotonous rhythm of, of going from town to town. It didn't work. You took one stretch <laughs> and put it in front of another one. And it's the same thing. Maybe when they yeah. printed, a page slipped from one side to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like... Oh, well, we, we've printed a big bunch of these. Like, screw it. They can, they can survive these two pages. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. But so, cue flashback. Cue flashback. Now they back and they under the bush and the lightning striking up ahead. And they sort of reminder that it's God go dead and what's happening. And eventually Matt drags Rand and or Rand drags Matt under a sort of hedge, put up their cloaks and just pass out time just to go to sleep this was too much and uh, that's when Rand starts dreaming and uh, his uh, old antagonist is back there and saying yes old uh, but did you find me you deserve some reward don't you think and Rand turned and he discovered that he was afraid even knowing it was a dream but Zalman's clothes were the color of dried blood and uh, rage and hate 
and triumphant battle in his face. Like it's obviously that didn't go to plan for him. He's he's pretty bleak at that. Um, the night before, you should rather say. Yeah, so Rand is dreaming through that, um, but he also gets very aware that he's dreaming now. It's 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 real now. Every time he knows he's dreaming, he is getting used to controlling a little bit of that and not giving away where they are. Uh, but it's he says he's just going to keep on getting them. They'll never get uh, to the eye of the world. The eye, will, the eye of the world will never serve him. And um, Rand uh, wakes up from that. He's soaked wet through his cloak, ice cold, and uh, skin is feeling tender and burned, and they kind of just get on going. Okay, so Matt was also having a dream at that stage, and something happened to him in his dream because they didn't elaborate on his dream, and he sort of woke up screaming, my eyes, oh, light my eyes, he took my eyes. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if that's some foretelling to something that may come again. Mm -hmm. And Rand sort of held him and cradled him up and as if he was a baby. And uh, said, you're all right, you're all right. He can't hurt us. Uh, I we won't let him. Uh, you could feel how Matt was shaking and sobbing through his coat. He can't hurt us, he whispered, and they uh, moved on. What protects you makes you vulnerable. Am I going mad? Again, there, that inner uh, dialogue. Mm -hmm. Is that Rand? Is that Lewis? Who knows? And, yeah, they uh, get up and going, and uh, they get rides on the wagons and this is where you kind of pick up again now this is where you see again uh, master kinch it's a name pop up later so possibly not a mixing of pages <laughs> but uh, quite a weird one how they laid that out and uh, yeah they basically keep going until they get to the next um, town uh, where the innkeeper rulan alwine uh, a good omen was a big man <laughs> Sweet. A, a good big innkeeper. And at that stage, they sort of negotiate for a room. Everything is expensive. And they're kind of like still taking it to the point like, well, what do you want to do? Sleep under a hedge or get some food into your belly? And uh, they ate, savoring each bite and uh, went to sleep even in their wet clothes. Uh, Rand mm. didn't even take his sword off because he just wants to be able to, if something happens, get up and run. Mm, and yeah. uh the next morning, get down, they had a, a fairly good sleep, uh, happy that none of Goat's men followed them and could have tracked them down. And that's when uh, little they noticed the young lad, Peter. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they describe him as young, but I think he's like a year or two older than Rand. Mm. Yeah, he's a, young, a, he's a young man. Young man, but uh, he, he looks very sort of shaken, almost like, oh, shit, I don't want to do this. But... Mm. He stands there and there's just an old man sweeping the inn on the inside of the inn and he comes closer and just, but immediately there's no trust from Matt. Sort of Matt just belts out, dark friend, <laughs> get the You're fuck wrong. out of here, dark friend, <laughs> go. And uh, Rand says, no, no, just leave us, just leave us alone. We want nothing to do with them. We just want to get moving on. And Matt tells, if you don't, quite fiercely, I will name you for what you are and see what your village friends think of that. And uh, he seems to take the threat seriously. He starts growing pale. And I heard what happened in Four Kings. He tells them uh, some of it anyway. Uh, word travels. We have, our, uh, we have ways of hearing things. Uh, but there's no one here to trap you. I'm alone. I just want to talk. So they get up from having their breakfast and uh, start moving out. And that's when he uh, sort of 
tries to talk again and Rand punches him like flat on the nose. Perif <laughs> yeah. knocks him back and then he shouts to them, oh, you won't get away, he spat angry, no matter how strong you are, the great Lord of the Dark is stronger, <laughs> the shadows will swallow you. And sort of, uh, they get out. He's there, shouting at them. Shouting sort of with a bloody nose. <laughs> Real smooth, Peter. <laughs> Way to keep it on the download. Way to keep it on the download. And as they get out there, Matt's also like, blood and ashes, man. It's, uh, they're always there. They're always right on our heels. We'll never get away. And they keep going. And it's, again, sort of carts and rolling up and between lifts on the cart and getting going. They eventually make it to the Queen's Man. And uh, Matt decided he'll uh, demonstrate his juggling skills, three balls, and uh, Rand played a bit for the flute there for the innkeeper. And uh, the innkeeper there uh, decided, yeah, go grab something to eat. And that is where Rand gets sick. He's sort of, yeah, yeah, starts stuttering. Sorry, Matt, like, I just can't, like, teeth clattering all of a sudden going into fever. And uh, Matt does the negotiation then to sort of let the innkeeper not chuck them out the front door because he'll tell them and he'll lose all his patrons that there's sickness in the place and uh, gets to go out the back door and into the stable and couldn't get Rand up into the hayloft and uh, sort of just give him a place to sleep and rest for the night. And there's no wisdom there, but there's a mother, Brune, uh, but she's busy birthing a baby. But uh, the chills came over Rand the whole time. He had a, a terrible sort of, uh, night ahead for him um, and he almost like hold it grabbed his sword and he thought in the shadows he saw fades but there was nothing sort of there's nothing there's nobody what ask like and then like, that comes up again like he's my father you don't understand uh, no no I have to keep it so he's in fever dream state and passes out I think eventually and then he sees a green stepping out of the shadows it's a, a, a very confusing yeah, he's pulling Tom on the litter through the forest and there's a fade with Lan and Moraine's heads hanging off its side, pulling Perrin and Aguin on leashes behind him and all kinds of crazy... Yeah, and they're, they're all saying, you killed us, you killed us. It's a, mm. it's a crazy dream. I wonder if that was just fever dreaming, or if there's something else that you could put into that. Post-channeling fever trip, you know, is... Uh... Yeah. Oh, obviously, obviously that exhaustion hit him because, I mean, every time Moraine had to... Uh, do really big channeling. There's a big emphasis on how tired she gets. And I think this is also just like Jody's saying, like because Rand channeled, he gets that thing that Moraine was explaining to Nynaeve about how after you've channeled the first time or like a big weave, you get fevers and chills like it, ah. like it happened to Nynaeve. Like it's, the, it's a direct reaction to actually channeling the one power. Yeah, all right. That makes more without, sense. because this... Without training, yeah. What happens to without me. training yes it's the thing that kills you it's the thing that happens more and more closely to the actual channeling until they happen at the same time and when that happens Moraine says it's like starting a a clock mm. um, to your death like usually a year or two later oh right so this is his start so that was definitely then yeah I think so mm. after him channeling a massive amount yeah this is what confirms the lightning this is how we know it was yeah. him channeling the lightning because he gets so he gets the the, the channel he gets sickness. The chills. Yeah, easily also confused with them being soaked, walking in the rain. Yeah, and that didn't help, him I think. just <laughs> getting pneumonia or something yeah. and getting really sick. Yeah. Uh, and purposefully so, I'm mm. sure. Yeah, but, yeah, it could definitely be. But, I mean, throughout all of this, there's, there's 
person after person that comes into this dream and to the point where Matt comes in and says, I just read Easy Randall Thor. I'm here and uh, you, um, uh, you're Randall Thor. That's who you are with the ugliest face and the thickest head in the two rivers. <laughs> hey, you're sweating. Our friends. <laughs> the fever's broken. Oh, Matt. <laughs> oh, Matt. So, um, yeah, then uh, from that in the morning, they wake up and then uh, a woman strolls in. Like, let's just get the dark friends rolling on. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who, Who's next in the queue? Who's next, next in the queue? And she appears to be sort of, uh, now she just came there to get her horses. And uh, she's, um, but are you okay? You look ill. And he's like, no, it's all right. Matt said stiffly is, uh, just caught a, a chill from the rain. That's where I was thinking the first time reading as well. Like, I just sincerely got sick. Mm. And, mm. Um, and that's she's what like, Matt genuinely thinks as well. Mm. And uh, she's like, no, no, I, I know a few things. Let me have a look. But uh, before she gets there, she sort of at the end whips out a dagger and goes straight for Matt, who manages to sort of dive out of the way. And she stabs the dagger into the, the barn wall or, or one of the pillars or poles in there. Mm. And uh, Rand sort of sees this and actually how it's burning the wood. And uh, in that same moment, Matt, who always seems to be fingering his dagger, has got the, the dagger out and against the throat and sort of, just give me a chance. I'll cut your throat. And uh, they don't want to murder. It's kind of like now that point, like, what do we do? Do we just kill her? Or Matt does. Matt wants to kill her. Matt wants to end yeah, her. Yeah, you know what Matt wants to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Rand has to actually say, like, oh, 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 he sees that look in his eyes, like, don't don't kill her, bro. Like, <laughs> just take it easy. Yeah, yeah no, but uh, and he shouts out, like, she tried to kill me. Now she tried mm. to kill you. She's a dark friend. And it's like spitting out the words. Um, but Rand sets a little bit of calm there in him. And uh, yeah, they, they tie up and the journey and the run continues. <laughs> More carts. More carts. Yeah, they, they, Matt pu- pushes her into a room and while she's trying to explain to him, he just slams the door in her face and <laughs> bolts and shut and they walk <laughs> off. Yeah. I don't want to listen to anything you say, woman. Yeah. No. Fuck friend. I love that um, Matt, even with his compromised eyesight, had the reflexes to dodge her knife thrust, mm. catch her by the wrist on the hand holding the knife and get his knife out and hold it to her throat. Mm. Like again, the boys <laughs> can handle shit. And they yeah. and just take it into he's half blind still. Yeah. Yes. And he's spent the whole night awake. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Looking after Rand. <laughs> sleeping sitting up with his chin like his chin on his chest mm. when he did sleep. Yeah. The um the woman seems to have a reaction when she notices Matt's dagger. Mm. Did she recognize it for what it was? Because she stayed absolutely still, like her eyes widen when she sees it. And I don't know if that's just a natural reaction to having a dagger at your throat or if she recognized it somehow. I mean, no one, I almost said from the dark side, but none of the, the, the dark friends or the, the shadow spawn know that Matt took a dagger from Shadow Logoth that potentially could be housing some power of Mashadar or more death or anything like that. Yeah, Do it's, they? It's, it's just said she uh, nodded slowly and her eyes never left Matt's dagger. Okay. It's, uh, but they do go quite into depth with, with the, her dagger, which mm. is, they say it looked ornate, ordinary, if ornate, uh, with pale mm. ivory hilt, narrow, gleaming blade with no longer than the palm of a hand, just a dagger, only that mm. it, uh, they could see what it could do. And the hilt mm. wasn't even warm. 
but his hands begin to sweat. He hoped he did not drop it in the hay. So yeah, they drop they drop it in a bucket of water that starts hissing. Yeah, and it steaming. starts hissing and steaming when they chucked it in there when they walked out. Mm. So, so maybe this woman is just familiar with tainted daggers, you know. <laughs> she has experience. <laughs> she, yeah. It's not her first tainted dagger. A collector. Yeah. <laughs> a, con- a connoisseur of tainted daggers. <laughs> exactly. But also I was thinking there's different levels of dark friends. And it's clear that Goad is one of the higher level ones because he's in the dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, the, yes. You know, in the dream that they have after they escape and... Yeah, mm. that when he's you know when when he gets his his uh, he's all burnt and whatever in the dream and he gets his comeuppance and gets sent to the dark one, um, yeah. But like this, I mean, he's invited to the dream, so he must be of some importance that he's there. You know, he's not just some random dude. And this lady might be also you know one of a lieutenant or something. You know, mm. and that they have some sense of darkness. They have some they have some connection to the dark one, so they may be able to sense these things. Yeah, she says to them the. Um... You will be honored in the place if you come to the, uh, the great Lord uh, of your own free will. But as long as you run, there will be pursuit. And who can tell what will happen then? And that uh, some of them uh, won't be as fair as others because there's jealousy. Mm. Yeah, lots of infighting. My hounds are jealous and may not be gentle. Mm. Look, I think... Um... But Elzamon even says in that dream where he's got gold there with him, he says, um, he wasn't successful, but he did find you for me. Like I know where you are now. Yeah. Mm. Um and that that earns him something, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean that something is him in like a crispy form. <laughs> um and then and then turning to a pile of ash in his clothes, you know. <laughs> well done, Goad. Congratulations. Like right before he turns to a pile of ash, he says, Okay, here's your reward, and he and he lets him die, and there's a look of realization on his face right before he turns to ash that he yeah. was something he was not expecting. Like a horror goes over his eyes, like Oh mm. shit! I was wrong. <laughs> oh, I made the bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not the reward I was expecting. She also tells them then after the tying up as well as like uh, now the madral. Wait till the madral gets here. So, but how would they summon the madral? Yeah, and, and they also meet in dream worlds. I think it's at the end of this book. The it's either the epilogue or the prologue for the next book that's also just printed in the first book, where it starts with a a meeting of dark friends, um, hosted by the Elzaman or one of the other Forsaken or something. But it's basically like a, a, a <laughs> I want to use like a eyes wide shut or like a masquerade or something. So a bunch <laughs> of people with masks walking around, and man, uh. the man who called himself Bores mm. is um, oh, I think yeah. turns out to be a white cloak, if I'm not mistaken. Here's another one that I can correct next week. <laughs> <laughs> loading the barrel for next week's corrections and <laughs> yeah. callbacks. Um, but I think they, they meet in the world of dreams and they, that's how they share information. Peter or someone mentions earlier, mm-hmm. we have ways of, you know, sharing information and it's through, it's through the world of dreams, mm. probably through other means as well, but that is at least one that they have. And also don't forget their, you know, dark friends, WhatsApp group that usually comes <laughs> yeah. handy. Yeah. Their, their Slack Hands channel. The inn, quickly come. Emoji, emoji, smiley face, devil face. Check, check. Check in at the inn. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of confusion cuck happened in this in this chapter. This hugely. Why uh, my, my I mean I walk away from this chapter chapter going that in media res narrative device is totally unnecessary. Yeah. And like we just saw it causes confusion for no payoff. So yeah. I do not approve. <laughs> 
Bad Jordan. Bad. I, I do bit. like when uh, Matt asks him, "How's your legs? Like we got to get moving." He's like, "I can't dance, but if you get me to my feet, I can walk." <laughs> yeah. I do love the the friendship between them, like how they're helping each other out. Like when he's blind, when Matt's yeah. blind, and he's he's shivering and crying, and, and Rand's hugging him, and then later Matt has to look after Rand when he's shivering and mumbling, and they stay. He stays up all night. They lean on each other a lot, quite literally. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Yeah, at the very end of this chapter, then they go, okay, uh, they're getting back on a, a horse uh, cart with straw. And it <laughs> yeah. says, my name is Hyman Kinch. So that's the person in the start is the person at the end. I just watched Memento recently, so this makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lie, it doesn't. Not even Memento could prepare me for this no, seemingly yeah. innocuous chapter. There's also in this chapter, or one of these many chapters on the road, where they, they sleep in, um, in a hay stack and mm-hmm. that's got a top over it. And they dig a little the next into one. it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. They dig a little yeah. tunnel and make a little hole where they can sleep. And I'm thinking, that sounds awesome. I would love to try <laughs> like Except for the, like, the, the hay, like getting into Rand's true. shirt and then poking in between the shoulder blades the next morning. Like, oh, that's, God, that's I was really trying not to get hay in there. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's get to it there. I think that's, is that the next chapter you say that? Uh... It, it, it is. Um, it's chapter 34, The Last Village. It's um, um, Rand and Matt. Oh, right. They, they reach Carrisford after dark. Um, still traveling uh, after Master Kinch drops them in the previous chapter. He says it's a day's walk from here to Carrisford. Um, but they get there and it's already dark. Um, and as they're moving through the town, um, I think Matt wants to stop and Rand is saying, no, 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 we should keep going. And they end up going through the town and not stopping. And that's when they find a haystack and Matt's like, oh God, not another haystack. And it's another one of those fights. We haven't really mentioned them, but like they, they often have these moments where one of them is fed up with the other one or with Matt mostly is fed up with walking a lot. And, you know, he's, he's, he's got this real hopeless sense. Like, what are we even doing? Everyone is dead. Mm. There's dark friends everywhere. What the fuck are we even doing trying to, to fight this thing? Um, and Rand at one point suggests selling the dagger and that's when Matt gets super defensive and says, why don't you sell your sword and blah, blah, blah. And he's just being a bit of a stroppy bitch. <laughs> and then um, they see this haystack and they sleep in it. And it's when they wake up the next morning. Um, I, I took a note here that Rand says when, they, when they're sleeping in the haystack or they're preparing to, he says, it's not easy to pretend anymore that he was a hero in a story, which I found, found funny <laughs> because that's exactly what he is. <laughs> but... Um, so then uh, they wake up the next morning and it's when they come out of the um, out of the haystack that they notice quite a lot of people traveling al- along the road. Mm. And it turns out like when, you know, they start asking a couple of people, it, it seems like everyone is busy traveling to Camelin to go see the false dragon being paraded through the streets. So um, Matt, typically despondent, wonders whether they'll make it to Camelin at all. And Rand's like, well, according to all the things we've been told, we're going to be there in two days. And Matt is still like, Two days, that's two more days of constant attack. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, are we going to survive another two days? That's a lot of um, But when they, meant, they, they notice all the travelers and stuff, it sort of provides a bit of cover for them. You know, there's a lot of people on the road, so they can be on the road as well. They don't stick out as much as long as Rand hides his sword and they try not to be too um, conspicuous. Um, but then, like, merchants also traveling in the other direction are, like, cracking their whip. Actually, pause. I assume they're traveling in the other direction because they mentioned that the rising sun is behind them. So if they're traveling... I also got that impression. East, cruising east towards Camelin, yeah. 
then the travelers, the merchants would be coming from Camelon. Mm. So these wagon drivers and merchants guards who sound to be one, each and every one of them sounds to be a complete dickhead mm. because they're cracking whips at them and like smacking them with spears on the way. They'd be coming toward them. They'd see them in the road some distance away. And as they come close, like try and hit them in the head with a whip. And at one point, one of them actually manages to hit Rand. Rand misjudges the length of a whip and he gets a gash across the top of his eye and he always gets sick thinking how close it was to his actual eye. And Matt wants to knock an arrow and shoot an arrow at the guy. And Matt Rand just grabs his arm and says, look, the best thing that's going to happen after that is they kick the shit out of us with their spears. And the worst thing is they kill us on the yeah. spot. So anyway, they, it's a lot of, lot of action on the road. Queen's guards come past every now and then. Um, and they actually overhear like one of the Queen's guards talking to one of the farmers. And the farmer's saying, can't you do something about these guys? And the guy's like, look, if they steal something, you let us know and we'll come do something. And the guy's like, but they just, they, they, they're covering the road. And the guy goes, you've got a fucking easy here. Camelon is bursting at the seams with these people, right? Like, this is fine. Just chill the fuck out. Um, the travelers offer this, this really good um, cover for them so they can travel a little bit more freely um, for the time. And that's when they get to a a village um, at night where, I mean, this chapter is called The Last Village. So this must be the one <laughs> marking the end of a long stream of dreary, sad villages. Filled with dark friends. Filled with dark friends and potential death. Yeah. So um, they get to this village at night and they're sort of slinking through town again and they're in the shadows. And when they're eyeballing this one in, they're they sort of stop, they linger, and they, they're sussing out the scene outside an inn because there's two people seeming to have a conversation that is interesting. Another person who's busy checking the reins and the harnesses on his horse and his cart. Mm. And Matt, as a farmer, notices that the guy who's working on the harnesses has checked the harness and then gone back and started at the beginning and rechecked the stuff he's just checked. Um, obviously, listening or eavesdropping on the conversation that these other two people are having. One of them is sort of standing in the light and the other one is standing in complete darkness. And um, you can't really make up what they're saying or anything, but that one guy um, walks away. The, the guy that was in the darkness sort of walks away and you can't see him at all, but then he passes through one sort of patch of light outside of a window and Rand's blood freezes and he turns to Matt and he just says, fade, there's a fade here. And I mean, for them, that would be terrifying, right? Dark friends is one thing, but they know what fades can do. For all they know, a fade just killed Tom a couple of days ago. Yeah. There's a fade right here talking to people. What the fuck are we going to do? Um, and that's when the, the innkeeper that the fade was talking to comes back and the farmer sort of pokes fun at him and goes, you know, weird friends you're talking to in the middle of the night here. Um, the guy sort of tries to defend this quote-unquote friend of his and he tells the farmer about... He's just saying that he's looking for these two boys, you know, with a, they stole a heron mark sword from him and they're causing all kinds of trouble and they're dark friends and they're followers of, of the false dragon and blah, 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 blah. And the farmer's sort of going, oh, cool, you know, so they're young boys and they've managed to steal a heron mark blade and they're dark friends and they're followers of, you know, cool, whatever. <laughs> these are busy, busy kids. <laughs> the innkeeper's sort of put out by it and he goes, what the fuck are you doing anyway? Like this idea of yours is insane. And um, that's when the farmer sort of says, well, I want to travel at night because I don't want to travel on the road full of merchant trains that are just speeding in the wrong direction and Queen's guards that are not really protecting the peace. I want to travel in peace at night and I want to go to Camelon. I've got nothing on my farm to live for. The seasons are so bad. You know, the crops are shit. I'm old. I'm going to die. I want to go to Camelon. I want to go see this this remarkable thing. Um, and from listening to that, Durant sort of makes a judgment call to 
at least take a chance and see if he can trust this farmer for a lift. And they approach him, and Matt is obviously super skeptic. He is uh, reaching for his dagger and, you know, standing a little ways back, and um, Rand comes over, and the, you can tell that the farmer immediately clicks. You know, these, these are probably the boys that this <laughs> dipshit was asking about yes. a couple of minutes ago. And then almost out of spite says, you guys want to come with me, you know, just jump in the van. <laughs> um, so they jump in the wagon and they go. Um, and... Yeah, they, they they travel. Oh, there's one note that I took here that where um, either the innkeeper or someone mentions the boys are not yet twenty. So all of our speculation in the beginning about how old the boys are, you know, old enough to marry but not yet twenty, is probably spot on. They're probably like eighteen, nineteen. I think there's also now a gold reward on them that that Faye tells the innkeeper. Yeah, like a hundred crowns or something. something. Yeah, it's it's a tidy sum. Um, so. They, they ride with the farmer then, and um, I remember. So, so what is his name? Bunt, I think, is his, his surname. Uh, he he starts talking. He's just gas bagging, right? He's yeah. stoked for company, so he's just laying down. And he name drops a couple names. We'll get to that now. But he also mentions Elida mm. by name, and um, he's talking about this Isidai that has taken up residence in the in the palace in Camelin and is you know the most trusted advisor of the queen and he's a queen's man but he doesn't approve of this Isodai meddling he doesn't like um the fact that you know they still send the daughter heir to the white tower and he doesn't like the fact that they send the what's the sword prince or what is the the, the prince of the queen you know, becomes a warder mm. um he doesn't like all of that but i remember reading this the very first time and thinking, oh, wow, another Aes Sedai, you know, like, <laughs> thus far, you only know Moraine. Yeah. That's the only Aes Sedai, you know. That's the only one you've read about. It's the only one you know anything about. And now there's another one in the palace. And she wields some kind of power over the queen. And, I mean, eventually she becomes the Amaran seat. And, you know, she does wield quite a lot of power even among other Aes Sedai. But I remember thinking, like, being sort of impressed by the power that this woman wields, not knowing what a raging asshole she turns out to be as well. Um, but as they're riding along, um, Bunt name drops Elaine, Gowan, Lord Luke, yep. and Tigraine. Yep. Like all things we've been sort of, you know, like stumbling over in the last couple of months. But, you know, like it, it's cool to see like, oh, okay, cool. These are some major players that are that are being named by this random ass farmer with half his teeth missing. You know, like <laughs> cool. You know, talking about Tigraine, that's, that's he knows pretty his history. Sweet. Yeah. He does. He does. I mean, Tarangale, the Damodreds, the connection with Kehine, all that stuff, yeah. um, which is great. Um, so Rand falls asleep. He has another one of his dreams about all the people from Eamon's Field and blah, blah, blah. You know, like at this point, I'm sort of like, okay, we get it, Rand. You're sorry about all the, you know, strife you've caused and you miss home. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then um, Rand sort of feels this dark, force sitting on his chest while he's dreaming and it turns out to be a crow and it speaks to him and it pokes out his eye as well and he wakes up and he sort of shrieks um and when he wakes up he feels his eyes they're both still there and he looks up and it's daylight and there it came in yeah a lot of crows poking at eyes <laughs> a lot of eye torture Esty. eye mutilation going on in his yeah Matt's eyes also just under constant attack. Well, yeah. the book is called The Eye books. of the World. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a theme. It's a motif. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, other than reading the the cool sort of um, name drops and you know just sparking all the lines of thought that go along with each of those, like I'm quite a fan of the track and kids. You know, like yeah. they're both very nice to Rand in the beginning, um, and they also. I mean, Elaine obviously is quite great. She does a lot of cool stuff, and she also, you know, falls in love with Rand, becomes one of his, uh, one of his harem, many wives. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Um, and um, Gowan and the and the younglings are also great. Oh, yes, later, I and about the younglings, Vili, you. I'm not going to spoil this for you now. I mean, I don't think there's anything in the story that leads up to the f- the final sort of stretch of Gowan's story. Um, but new things get introduced in the story right at the end and Gowan takes advantage of them um, at his own peril. Like knowingly he does things that he knows is going to cause him harm, but he becomes this like unstoppable fucking force of death <laughs> towards the end. Like in the last book, he is this like total machine. It's, awesome shit so like reading about him now you're like fuck you you become so cool <laughs> just get there get there get there meet them meet them meet them um yeah so super exciting and of course the the lord luke um faux pas that i made last last episode yeah. became immediately obvious when i read this i didn't even have to look at the family tree that you found on reddit joe but yeah like, oh, <laughs> yes oh okay yep. yeah luke was tarangale's brother uh oh no was he to grain's brother to Green's mm-hmm. brother. brother, yes, yeah, Rand's uncle. Indeed, I'll get into that. Please do when the time comes. Uh, not much else there for you guys. <laughs> um, nah, traveling. No. Got a lucky nah. lift. Opportunists. Was was the was the innkeeper that spoke to the fade? Was he also thin? Yes. Yeah, he was. He was skinny. <laughs> I don't know if he was, but he was in my mind. <laughs> in my mind, he was. In fact, he looked an awful lot like Samuel Haig does in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Same guy. <laughs> who also who also looks a bit like Payton Fain does in my mind. Like I'm tarring them all with the same brush. <laughs> oh, this does remind me, because uh, they do mention Elaine here. Ach, no, mm-hmm. Elida. Yes. Um, mm. In a previous chapter as well, I think I may have read about her. But it, now at, at the time of recording this, if you're listening to it in the future, um, mm-hmm. the casting for her has not been done for the TV show. There's no... There's no actors being cast for a lighter. Um, Not that we know of, no. No. And I'm I'm wondering why that is. It's a big casting. So maybe they just, I mean, there's no casting for Elaine either. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of like, yeah, but maybe. Or more guys or. Anyway, I just figured. Yeah. A lot of people being cast except her. I mean, Joe, since you're talking about casting, they did. You sent me that link about the, um, you know, the the breadth of the story that is aimed that looks like from looking at the chapter titles that is going to be contained in the first season, and it looks to, you know, take a pretty big bite, if not all, of the second book as yeah. well. Um, which is whew, that's going to be hard to stomach for me if they're going to try and squeeze two books into eight episodes because the first season is also only eight episodes. So, um, look, I was thinking about that too, and I'm thinking. Yes, it's 20 years of reading these books. Let's just get through the series as fast and as effectively as possible. Like, I don't mind. Like, I've dedicated a huge chunk of my life to this story. And continue to do so at this very moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they also, they mentioned in that that very article, I think Rafe Judkins, the showrunner for Mm. for the show, says, look, the books are always there for that. You know, if you want that stuff, it's there. You can go get it. 
No, he has a point. It's just not gonna it's not gonna fit in the show. And I'm I'm fine with I'm fine with that. If they take two books per season, that's seven seasons. That's <laughs> plenty of seasons. All right. And also, yes. speaking of that, um, I did some calculations on how many chapters we are doing and how we do them every two weeks. And it's yes. gonna take us five and a half years to record these podcasts to complete all the books. So strap if we in. don't take any breaks. <laughs> if we don't take any breaks ever. You're not allowed Christmas off. Well, what's also relevant to this conversation is the fact that we would have to finish our um, our run of episodes for book two before the show comes out, because oh. the show is going to contain a fair bit of book two, if not all of it. So, <laughs> uh, we're, you know. we're not stopping for Christmas, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, we've got a lot of time on our hands with all of this uh, lockdown going down. Yes, yes. Yes. For those of you in the future. Don't worry about 2020. Just, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, well, why don't you take us to our last chapter then? Camelin, the fucking shining light at the end of this dark tunnel. This dark tunnel of hay bales and farmer's carts and dark friends just constant in every corner. discomfort and attack and doubt and infighting Rand and Matt struggling. It's just like, it was just not fun for me to read this then. It's not fun for me to read this now. <laughs> it's, it's over now, Moritz. It seems to be concentrated into this like one short stretch, which is fine by me. Yeah, it's done. It's done, man. We can look, we can look to the future now. It's done. The right, band-aid so, is off. Oh, chapter 35, Camelin. Uh, so yeah, Rand, Matt, and what's the farmer's name that's giving them a lift this time? Something Bunt. Emily Bunt. Bunt. Emily Bunt. Bunt arrive at Camelin finally. And, you know, it starts, the, the first word is, and here we are at Camelin, you know, it's like his, uh, his outstretched hand presenting the city to them. <laughs> and Rand's all like, oh, yay, and he looks up, but he's just bah, flabbergasted, you know, because... All the stories are true. Then when they thought Berylon was a city, he laughs at himself. When he saw Shadow Logoth, nothing compares to this. All right. So mm-hmm. and Banto actually tells him that uh, this is an Ogier built city. And at least, well, at least the inner city and the inner wall, everything else that's spread throughout the ages, obviously, is new, new added on. But the walls, I had a more in my mind, a memory of this city being more yellow, uh, like a like a sandstone, but it's actually white and gray. Uh, mm. walls with silver streaks and gold streaks through the so it's it's majestic as fuck you know it's it's really the great and the wall is 50 feet tall yeah and that's the new walls walls not even the the old ogier ones yes towers surrounding them and inside there's more towers that are even taller with white domes on them and just like fantastic mm. like amazing definitely Oh man, green screen <laughs> for the show here. These uh, these VFX artists are going to have a ball. I hope they they do it justice. But anyway, it's it's fantastic. Is is the gist of it? Uh, but also, this is what the, the the Queen's Guard was saying on the road that the place is filled to the brim. It's bursting at the seams. People are everywhere. The boys are actually covering their ears with their hands. There's so much noise because they're they're first going through the the marketplace to get into the city. And everybody is screaming their wares, and there's cows mooing and sheep buying. And he puts all the, <laughs> the onomatopoeia there in that book, uh, in this part of the, the chapter. <laughs> yes, I know the sounds that cows and sheep make, but anyway, it's noisy. <laughs> and they're, they're going through it all. They just, they just flabbergasted. And uh, um, as they're coming in through there, they, they're, they're also talking about how scarce everything is. Like there's no food in the city as well, the trees are dead. 
the grass is brown. There's like it's all mm. yeah, but the people are just trying to not notice it. You know, just pretending it's not there because Logan's there. They got something to look for. All these people, all these travelers coming in. Also, lots of other young men like Rand's age. So I think that they're kind of hidden from the dark frame. Yeah. Everyone looks like them. A bunch of country bumpkins with dirty clothes, um, looking coming to visit Camelin to look totally. at the, uh, the false dragon to come and get a look at it. Safety him. in numbers. Yeah, exactly. So they're kind of hidden here, and um, yeah. So they when they get into the city. Uh, Bunt just lets them off because he's not going further and they start on foot, but he does give them a warning. He does tell Rand, like, look, dude, cover up that sword because, <laughs> you know, this is, you're going to get caught. That's going to draw attention. And finally, after 35 chapters, Rand actually, because he looks around and looks <laughs> the people are walking around with their swords on, but they wrap them in cloth. Um, mm. I suppose it's kind of like a, a safety, you know, so that they're not, not people ripping up. I think th- they don't say it in this chapter, but Again, more ammo for next week uh, to correct. But I think it it mean like there are two factions of differing opinions. Like they might be backing, you know, different players in the royal family. Like having a red cloth with white bindings means something different to having a white cloth with red bindings. So I think you are actually saying something by having your sword covered with a specific color scheme. Mm. All right, I did not. That could be totally made up. (laughs) We'll find out next week on the next exciting episode. (laughs) There's your cliffhanger. It's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Many episodes are coming. I mean, I got this idea because I know later on they visit another city in one of the later books where they have to wrap their swords in a fine wire so that they can't. It's in farm adding. In farm adding, yeah. So I thought maybe this is another Mm. thing where they wrap it in cloth. Okay, perhaps not. Aaron, apparently not and this is also where we see matt is really down in the dumps by the time we get you he's not happy about everything because rand is so excited we're here we finally made it we're going to meet Egwene and moraine and everything's going to be okay and and matt says like if you ask me they're as dead as the gleeman like such an offhand comment and and rand <sighs> smile just fades off his face like all his happiness is immediately gone like my oh, dick ruined my day um but yeah so matt's getting worse uh, like he puts that finally, you know, he you know covers up the heron mark on his sword at least with this rags. That's fine. I'm just glad they finally did it, so that they don't have yeah. to draw too much attention for themselves. And you know, the the city is packed. They get approached a couple of times by a bunch of weird dudes trying to sell them shards of Logan's sword, like memorabilia. Like everyone's trying to take advantage of everyone. Um, yeah, like he mentions as well. Like he's been sold. That they've tried to sell him enough shards of Logan's sword to make two swords. So yes. know, everyone's trying to con you. So, but they're just like, no, 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 no. And, and other bumpkins are coming up to them, asking them for directions. Yeah, like, like no. Oh. <laughs> so they're asking directions. They're trying to find because you know, um, when when they left Tom, he told them to go to Camden and 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 go to the Queen's Blessing, where Basil Gill is, mm. alleged Basil. Uh, faulty mm-hmm. Basil. <laughs> Basil faulty. I mean Basil, Basil Gill. Yeah, yeah, Basil Gill. So, yeah, uh, they start looking and they're asking and, you know, they have no idea. People don't know. People are being rude and telling them to fuck off. And, you know, some people are more accommodating. Eventually, they find their way to this place of sanctuary. And uh, they find old Basil Gill there as well. And they, they come in. The, the, the inn's not too busy yet. It's the middle of the early morning still. But everyone seems friendly and the place is clean. And Basil's got a big 
belly. So everything's <laughs> everything's hunky dory, as you say. <laughs> yeah. So everything's looking good. And they uh, they tell him like, look, Basil, we we were sent here by Tom. Um, and they tell the story about how Tom saved them. And they're they're pretty truthful, but they leave out some details about fades and trollocs and whatnot. They they don't want to bring down the the wrath of shaitan on these people on this poor man <laughs> so yeah um he's like but he doesn't believe that tom's dead and this is our first another one of our inklings that tom is more than he appears to be he's like yeah i'll believe mm. tom's dead when i see his body you know i've known him a long time but anyway any friend of tom's is a friend of mine so i suppose you boys are hungry and if you want to you want some food I'll, I'll put you i'll get you some beds and it's like oh finally they met someone who's you know going to look out look out for them and uh, he offers him some food. I think he's just like, you boys look like your bellies are gnawing at your spines, you know, like they're so hungry. And uh, he does take them into combination and give them some some respite. And um, mentions uh, Matt always also mentions something about Aes Sedai and, you, you know, Shaitan take them all, the crows could take them all, the Shailgul and stuff. And he's like, whoa, 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 come out back and let me explain to you how things work in Camelin. Like, probably going back to the factions we were talking about. Like there's people in the city who are very, very protective of the queen. And if the queen likes Aes Sedai, mm. they like Aes Sedai. So if you've got any opinions, keep them to yourself. Like stay low, your sword's covered. That's good. <laughs> step one. Next next up, you know, cover your mouth, shut the fuck up. Just keep mm. your profile. And that's where they start hanging out. And um, he tells them a story about Tom uh, and a bit of his history and this <laughs> is checkered past his checkered past he goes like yeah well you know uh tells him that tom in the past was caught barred in camelin and he wasn't just like any gleeman you may have noticed that he thinks very highly of himself in the most gleeman do but tom more than others yeah. because he has this past and he was once at one point the lover of of queen morgay's uh he doesn't say lover but he says a bit friendlier than he should have been which mm-hmm. is, of course so my memories on this were correct he was uh, canoodling the, with the queen. So anyway, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, this is there's a stretch later. In, there's a stretch later in the books where Elaine is like trying to figure out whether Tom is her dad or not. Mm. Oh yeah, oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but this all leads us into a whole bag of worms, I suppose you could call them. It's a can of worms, right? <laughs> and a bag of cats. I don't know. Anyway, there's a bunch bag of, of frogs. <laughs> a bag of frogs with a can of worms inside it. So to explain all of this backstory and the fact that we've mentioned Luke and Tigrain earlier, they popped up, little name drops over there. This is the whole family tree kind of thing about how this all fits in. So, and how the queen had, a, had, a, had an affair with Tom if she was married and had kids and all that, like how it all fits in. So before Morgays was queen, it was Tigrain who was the queen. Now, Camelin, mm-hmm. for the people who, who don't remember or don't know, is uh, it's a matriarchal society. They have queens. They don't have kings. Mm. So it's always been queens. And Tigrain was the queen before uh, Morgays. She's the one who, after marrying uh, Tarangale, was her husband who became king. They had Galad, or Galadadrid is his full name, but old Galad. So yeah. she had Galad, and then afterwards she disappeared and ran away, ran away and went over the spine of the world and she became um, the spear maiden. She married and fell in love with, uh, with one of the clan leaders, Janduin and mm-hmm. had became pregnant and then ran back over the wall during the Camelon war um, and had ran on the side of dragon Mount in the snow that night, that fateful evening. So technically Gallad, 
as we all know, and Rand are half-brothers. And yeah. Luke was Tigraine's brother, and he's the one that you know also disappeared. He went north, didn't he? He went to Shail Ghul. He goes to the... I think he goes into the Blight. Yeah, he goes into the Blight, and he becomes Slayer, which the wolves mm. know all too well. So, yeah. yeah, he becomes some sort of dream world master. Yeah. Yeah. Like a crazy hunter type. Crazy hunter type dude. So he basically just lives in the mm. dream world. So, yeah. Mm. So Luke is Rand's uncle. And Tigraine, his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after she went away, Tarangale, the, the king that was married to Tigraine earlier, the father of Galad, he, he eventually marries Morgays because she, her house is then the Trakan house. Trakan, not Damondred, becomes mm. the leading house. And he canoodles his way in there to try and stay in power and marries Morgays and has two other kids, Gawain and Elaine. So it was confusing for me at one point as well, trying to figure this all out. Like, all right, so Rand isn't related to Elaine. <laughs> Thank God. He's <laughs> right, weird, but he's not. He's not in any way related bloodlines-wise, but he is up there in the royal family of, of Kehain. Oh, this yeah. is not Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> let's not go down that one. That does but, not yeah. fly here. Exactly. So, yeah, that's how it all happens. So, in, after Tarangale dies, Morghese is left a widow. And this is where Tom comes into the picture. Yeah. So he was called Bard. A young widow. Yeah, she was a young widow. Um, she had kids. And Tom is very smooth. And he likes to dance. And he could juggle. Obviously, very sexy things. So, uh, <laughs> juggling. always in blue eyes. <laughs> exactly. So then they had this thing and there's, you know, and then Basil's explaining as well, like better not mention, you know, Tom either around anybody because (laughs) when Tom's nephew uh, got messed up, you know, involved with the Aes Sedai and all of that cuck and they eventually stilled and, uh, or gentled, sorry, and then died. Um, When that happened, he left to go and help his nephew. And that was the same time that he was with, with the Queen Morghese. But he didn't say anything. He just left her in the middle of the night and disappeared, which, of course, pissed her off completely. And also, he went and meddled in the Aes Sedai business to save his kid, which pissed off Elida, who was the queen's advisor. So, like, he's mm-hmm. not welcome in Camelin at all. Also... Burned some powerful bridges. <laughs> totally, totally. Also, he when he left, he came back later because while he was gone, the queen sent Gareth, Gareth Bryn, to go and find him, the Queen's Guard, the head of the Queen's Guard. And while he was away, Tom came back <laughs> into yeah. the city, said some things he shouldn't have said, gone into a fight with Morgays, made things worse, and then left again <laughs> Gareth could come back. So now Gareth yes. is also pissed off because it makes him look like an idiot because he couldn't yeah. catch Tom. Tom was, while he was away, Tom came back, caused more cuck, and then left again. So between Morgays and uh, Elida and Gareth, Tom is not welcome in the city, you know. Uh, no. But yes, so that's the story behind where Rand comes from, what happened with the family. I hope this is very, this makes sense to some people listening to this. But you can Google this stuff and look at the family tree if you want. But yeah. What, um, what tripped me up was the similarity between the, word, the names Tigraine and Tarangale. Exactly. That is very confusing. Oh, that's, I've, I have it open on my, on my laptop now so that I don't confuse them. Because I'm just looking at okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would confuse it. And the fact that Tarangale has the same surname as Moraine, so like the names and the families, they sort of start blending together, especially if you're reading the book the first time. You know, like Some of these names wouldn't mean anything to you. I don't think you know Moraine's surname at this point. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of um, history mm. to absorb 
um, and would not mean an awful lot to you unless you knew that Degrain was, you know, Rand's mom who became a shield maiden and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the whole family business there. And uh, and the next chapter, which we'll get into the next one, is awesome. And I'm, I, I went ahead and read a little bit. Because, oh, no. <laughs> oh, dude, it just gets better and better. So finally, we passed all the, the lying on the, the backs of carts with farmers and we're into some meaty stuff in the city. Did I miss anything from that chapter? No, that's about I mean, it. Yeah, it seems like you got it all there. And some more. And Rand also, when he's talking to Basil Gill and talking about Tom, he doesn't say, oh, we don't know what happened to Tom. And Basil says, oh, I'm sure he's fine. It's like Rand flat out says, Tom is dead. Yeah. And Basil still says, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Rand was, he didn't seem unsure about what he was saying. And Basil was still saying, no, I don't think he's dead. <laughs> well, he knows Tom very well. He doesn't know Rand from a bar of soap. So, yeah. True. True. Yeah. I like that. So, favorite moment, guys, in this stretch. Man, it was slim pickings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed, it was. Uh, we're all going to have the same one. Let's tell. Vili, okay, why don't you go first, Vili? You get first pick. Oh, first pick. Yo, this definitely just going to be lightning strike. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my top three in my yeah. shortlist. No, it's, uh, that is an epic point there, and especially now, second reading, understanding really what's happening, that it's not blind, mm. bloody luck, that it was, yeah. uh, it's a little bit more than that. But yeah, it is slim pickings. Other than that, there's been a few moments, but slim pickings. That is one that is, um, it represents a, a cool visual element, you know, this action, um, I don't want to sound morbid, but you know, there's death. death. <laughs> you know, like people, <laughs> Rand, Rand takes out a bunch of enemies hey, with an area of effect spell. There must always be death in these books. There is always yes. death. Death is entertaining. Um, didn't hear that from me. No. Um, how about you, Joe? Um, I'm going to go with that quaint little moment in the farmhouse with the family. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, nice. When the when the girl gives him gives Rand the eyes and and the mother that oh, realization yeah, of the mother when she looks up from her knitting is like hey what no 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 not Hang on my watch. <laughs> not <laughs> in my farmhouse yeah not in my farmhouse and I think she's the mother as well is not concerned of Rand taking advantage she looks at her daughter's face <laughs> that lust in her eyes is like ah, you're sleeping in my room tonight girl yeah yeah it was funny it made me that was like the only time I giggled in these six chapters Yes, that and then the next morning with Matt making fun of Rand. Mm. Yes, all the whole because of it. Too, yeah, with the extent. yeah, and you. Um, I had two. I very much enjoyed this last little section with Basil Gill regaling Rand and Matt with uh, Tom's um, Tom's story about how you know he's a bard. And he, he, you know, canoodles the queen. Um, he's totally, you know, punching above his weight and he, and he manages it. And then the fact that you also learn later uh, what an absolute, like, military genius Gareth Bryan or Gareth Bryn is and um, that he himself commanded the troop of soldiers that went to go put um, 
Tom in shackles and then during the time that he was away, Tom snuck back into the castle and had a chat with, with Morgaze and pissed her off and then disappeared again and that that still rankles with him, you know, like don't say Tom's name around you because Gareth Bryan is still around yep. and if he knows you know anything, that still sticks in his crawl. Um, and then the other one that I really liked, I know I'm cheating, but they were yeah. both sort of such yeah. low-level ones, is that little moment that Elias has with Penn right in the beginning when he tells him about the axe. He says, you really hate it that much? Well, that's a good thing. You know, it's it's while you hate it, you will be effective with it. And uh, when, you, when you stop to hate it, that's when you throw it as far as you can and you run in the opposite direction. Um, that was really cool. Because yeah. Elias is also pretty fucking great. Oh, he, indeed he is. He dominates. He does. Okay, wow, Joe, you were spot on. Was I right? Longest recording yet. Oh, <laughs> when I was looking at my notes, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> I think that they are getting steadily longer. <laughs> As we get more comfortable and more into it. <laughs> yeah. It's good though, love it. Words. Yeah, loads. Um, okay, so in our next episode, we will be covering chapter 36, which is Web of the Pattern, through to the end of chapter 41, which is Old Friends and New Threads. Mm. Okay, so then that that marks the end of this episode, guys. Well done. This was quite a marathon session. I honestly did not expect this to go as long when I was doing my chapters, which admittedly were the thinnest two chapters in this batch of six. I thought, oh God, we're going to be struggling for content here. Exact opposite, which is great. <laughs> yeah, totally. So um, if anyone picked up on one of the 20,000 mistakes we purposefully threw into the mix here, just please write to us at um, at the bloodandashespodcast.com website. You can leave a comment there, which will make it directly to myself, or you can email me at moritz at bloodandashespodcast.com. Um, and with that, we will see you guys next time. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers, cheers. Cheerio. Remember to walk in the light, everyone. <laughs> White cloak. White cloak's going to get you. <laughs> Laters. Cheers.